0: Yeah, I want to welcome those of you who uh, are with us this morning who thought we'd begin at 9: 45. Glad you're with us. It's good to have you here with us as well. Uh, did you, uh, do you ever have ever had that dream where uh, you wake up late for class, aren't prepared to show up at class, and remember there was a test that day? Ever have that dream? Anyone raise your hand? Okay, A lot of us, many of us, most of us. I'm having that dream today, and it's real. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um, i'm not going to do this every sunday so don't ask uh someone came along uh, this week and made a whole bunch of bumper stickers that said pray for peace and they saw our sign uh, banner out front of the sanctuary and so came in and said hey listen i had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these bumper stickers made i see that you all are advocates of prayer and praying for peace so have a bunch and would you give them away to your congregation and i what do you say to that? OK, sure. Uh, so there are a whole bunch of bumper stickers uh, in the uh, lobby on your way out. If you want to grab one, they just say, pray for peace." And the person who made them said, they're the kind of bumper sticker that come off of your car really easy when you're done with them." That's what the person promised. They paid a little extra for that feature. So free bumper stickers this morning. Uh, grab one on the way out. We do want to be a people, and we are who pray and who pray for peace. As Zoe mentioned earlier, uh, each month there's a Monday evening gathering for prayer. There's a prayer team that prays on Wednesdays every week. And then people gather in the sanctuary every Tuesday and Thursday at noon for prayer. And that's just some of the ways that we pray together, including after worship on the steps up here. So if you want a bumper sticker that says pray, pray for peace, grab one on the way out, or two, or three, or a dozen. If you uh, come to me during the week and say, pray for the Warriors, look, I've made bumper stickers, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to, we're not going to announce that next Sunday. I'm just giving you a heads up on that. Yeah. A couple other uh, items of business uh, while we're here, uh, we recently committed. Uh, Completed a a series of classes or gatherings. Classes sounds like school Uh, gatherings that we call Discover First Pres. Uh, We do this periodically through and in Discover First Pres. We uh, talk about who we are, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be Presbyterian, uh, what it means to be a member of this church, and what we're all about. Uh, This group of about 10 people. Uh, did that over the course of a number of weeks. Recently, uh, we had a great time, we ate some food, we wrestled with some good questions, we learned some things. It was overall a good uh, process. At the end of that, uh, we gave people who were interested in such the opportunity to become official members of uh, First Presbyterian Church. We know, I know that's not for everyone, and I know it's not in the Bible. Nevertheless, it's kind of a historic thing uh, that uh, we've done. There are certain benefits of membership, but it's not for everyone, and that's okay. But benefits of membership include being able to serve as a deacon or an elder or on certain teams or certain committees, voting on a number of things, not too many, but a number, including the pastor's salary. And... and then presenting one's children for baptism. So uh, for those who are interested in that sort of thing, we give people that opportunity at the end of Discover First Press. I had the permission to uh, uh, welcome publicly a few people who chose that option of membership uh, after, uh, at the end of Discover First Press. I'm gonna do that right now in no particular alphabetical order. Eliezer and Mariana Freitas, are you here? Yeah, why don't you stand up? Yes. stand up and remain standing. Bridget Michelson, are you here? Are you in the house? Bridget? Bridget's up there in the balcony. Wave at Bridget. Uh, Julian Park. Julian, you here? Stand up and wave. All right. Great. We love all of you guys, whether uh, or not someone chooses to become a member or not. But welcome to those of you especially. Uh, They've got name tags on, I think, and they're going to be in Geneva Patio after. Uh, worship, so go out there, greet them, introduce yourself to them if you do not already know them. Yes. Uh, Today is Mother's Day, and uh, so we want to recognize that. In in some ways, uh, Mother's Day is a hallmark holiday, we all know and understand. It is not a part of, uh, it's not a Christian holiday, it's not a part of the church year, it's not part of the historic liturgical calendar of the church. We're not opposed to Mother's Day. but it's not a part of sort of the uh, Christian calendar. It's not a Bible thing directly, but we do celebrate it and acknowledge it with our culture, and there are elements of Mother's Day that are very biblical. For example, vis-a-vis, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor thy father and mother, and so with Uh, the scriptures that not just in the Old Testament but also the New Testament, all of the moral law sort of pick up on that theme. And so we do want to honor our fathers and today especially mothers and in the tradition of the Jewish people, not just our biological mother or the mother who raised us, but all of those women in our lives who were mother to us or have been or are in a variety of ways, whether biological mother, adopted mother, stepmother, Uh, foster mother, uh, grandmother, aunt, etc. The Jewish people took that commandment to mean uh, to be understood very broadly, to honor them. And so we want to honor them and all of the spiritual mothers in the congregation, everyone who's been a spiritual mother to you over the course of your life, whether a shepherd or a teacher or a caregiver, people who in Jewish understanding have been the been the means of God's grace and ambassadors of God, really the voice of God, hands of God, feet of God in one's life, especially when one was young. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already, to honor those people in your life who have been for you spiritual mothers, to thank them and to thank God for them. Absolutely. So with that in mind... uh, and heading towards some scripture. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the ways that you have filled our lives with good things and good people and good mothers, great women. We thank you for the ways they have taught us, directed us, encouraged us, upheld us, cared for us, fed us in a variety of ways at home, at school, out in the world, and in and through the church. Thank you. We are grateful. May they be honored outwardly and inwardly by us and by our community. We thank you for your word in which we uh, find and discover truth and grace. Help us to be attentive to it and to you this morning as We listen. Give us ears that are good to hear and eyes that are able to see, hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word. Plant within us things that will grow and that will bring you glory and bring us joy. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday morning, we talked about uh, what God is and who God is and how God is. We read from, among other places, the first of the three little books toward the end of the new testament called the epistles of john first second and third john where specifically in first john we read in chapter four these words you remember you remember you remember god is love which we saw last morning defined god in one sense god is love defines god what is God? Love. Who is God? Love. How is God? Love. And we talked about the fact that God has always been love and God will always be love. God doesn't change. God is defined by love. Love and to love is inherently God's nature and God's character. And we talked last week about how the triune God, the three-in-one God, has always expressed that love toward other persons of the Godhead and what some have called a dance of love for example C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity a classic book that if you haven't read yet you probably would do well to and benefit from mere Christianity and in the back of that book there's a line from Lewis that says God is not a static thing but a dynamic pulsating activity a life almost a kind of drama Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a dance. And out of the overflow and abundance of the triune or tripersonal God and God's love, God created, needing nothing but wanting to express and to extend His love beyond Himself, which God did through creating, through creation, the pinnacle of which was humanity. God created in God's image. Bearing God's imprint and made in ways that were like and are like God's being. That is us. And being made in human or in God's image, humanity, unlike the earth and the oceans, the sun, the stars, the moon, the mountains, the trees, or even the animals, humanity exists with a capacity and even an inclination toward and a need for, according to who and how we were created, love and to be loved to love and to be loved and that's exactly what God did and God does and God has done and God will do toward and with humanity it's right up there at the top love and this we see through the scriptures if you go through the scriptures carefully over and over and over and over and over and over in so many different ways, we've been through the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus over and over and over loves people. And yet, as we talked about last Sunday, many people, many of us have struggled to acknowledge, welcome, accept, receive, and live in God's love. And part of that may be due to the ideas and the images. That we may have consciously or unconsciously associated with God from the time that we were young children because of who served as our parents or people in places of authority in our lives who may have been aloof or ambivalent or apathetic or absent or alcoholic or angry or abusive. And so we may have transferred even as children under our ideas of greatness and bigness and grandeur and divine Onto God himself, whom Jesus called Father. Images such as these that are not who and how God really truly is. Kids are susceptible to that. And so we forget. And so Jesus says, God is love. The scriptures say, God is love. Jesus over and over painted pictures of a God who is love. We defined love last week as to act on behalf of another person's well-being. Can you say that by memory? To act on behalf of another person's well-being. Love, according to the Scriptures, this unusual word, agapao in the Scriptures, to love. Talks about being unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greater good of others. It isn't born just out of emotions or feelings or familiarity or attraction, but from the will of, and as a choice a choice of god and choices that we can all make as well it requires faithfulness it involves commitment and sacrifice without expecting anything in return it's unlike the love that we often experience on earth it involves choice it is deliberate it is striving after another person's good and well-being It is demonstrated through actions as well as words. And it's not only kids who are susceptible to misunderstanding about how God is and who God is and the nature and character of God, but also teenagers, young adults, people in the middle ages, people even in their later years. I see this on a regular basis, I see this almost weekly. But we see in the scriptures, from Ezekiel to Galatians, talk about a new heart and a new spirit. Doing away with the heart of stone and taking on a heart of flesh. Paul to the Galatians, you will become a new person. The old has gone, the new has come. And part of what God wants to do in and through us is to renovate our ideas about who he is and to update as we do our software, our understanding about the nature and the character and the way and the will of God that is defined more than anything else by this word and this action love. And this can be sometimes hard for some of you, maybe many of you, sometimes for me. We've been raised in a largely quid pro quo world. A person gets what they deserve. It's a dog-eat-dog world. If you want something, you've got to earn it. People are measured by their merits, their performances, their beauty, their grades, their accomplishments. A person's understanding of their own value can easily be caught up in or determined. They think, we think, I sometimes think by their awards or the absence of awards. I remember so distinctly as a child. I'm going to be a little personal for a moment. First grade, field day, Lockhart, Texas, small town in South Texas. Field day was a big thing in uh, elementary school. Uh, I don't, do they still do field day? Okay. Field day where you have all these races and have fun and everyone spends the whole day outside. Uh, I don't know exactly what I pulled down during first grade, but it was, it was good stuff. Uh, there was a first place ribbon that was blue and a second place ribbon that was red and a third place ribbon that was white. And they went on the wall in my bedroom. And then the next year i just looked forward to uh field day during second grade pulled in a few more ribbons third grade again i remembered uh, first place in the entire elementary school in the three-legged race with kevin jackson we crushed it absolutely crushed it Uh, the ribbons and the awards were accumulating one saturday morning toward the latter part of third grade I said to mom mom somebody came to school uh this week and talked about ford punt pass and kick anyone remember ford punt pass and kick goes way back so a contest to see who can punt kick and punt pass and kick the furthest on a straight line mom can i go to this skip my saturday morning chores i promise i'll do them in the afternoon when i get home sure you can do it hopped on my green bike with a green banana seat rode over to the high school signed up participated rode my bike home with a big white box under my arm got home unboxed it mom look at this gold trophy first place lots of love from mom mom said why don't we put it on the coffee table in the living room where everyone who comes in the house will see it I like that idea mom (laughs) and that's where it stayed for a couple of years And one can get the idea that we are and our value is connected to what we do and what we achieve and our ribbons and our awards and our little metal and wooden trophies. That's kind of how the world works, not just for kids but also for grown-ups. The message wasn't intentional on my mom's part, but that's how things work. That's how people, even as children, often develop value and worth and dignity and perceived lovableness based on what a person does, achieves, applause, money, things, experience, power, prestige. But the message of the scriptures, friends, is so different than this. The message of God is so different than this. Not that any of that was bad or wrong. It wasn't. But the message of the scriptures is so different than this. One night a Pharisee who, Pharisees may have been in the Jewish culture then, like in Christian culture, evangelicals, in the best sense of the word, not the political sense of the word, are today. They took seriously the Scriptures. They took seriously their faith. They wanted to be obedient. When not a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, comes to Jesus under cover of darkness, And Nicodemus asked Jesus about God and about the kingdom of God and about access to God. And reality, how can a person see, experience, and have access to these things, Nicodemus essentially asked, to which Jesus replied in the third chapter of John's gospel, those words that are so familiar to all of us, well, let me tell you, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have a kind of life that's described as eternal. You know, Nicodemus, God loves the world. God, that's sort of the starting place for God. God loves the world. God loves the people of the world. God loves them. God loves you a lot. Yes, a lot. How much? Well, what is the most precious thing in your life, Nicodemus? Maybe a child, maybe your children. It's the same with God, actually, as it turns out. God the Father has God the Son. And there's this belovedness between them that can't be topped by anything. And yet, God so loved the world that he gave his beloved Son so dear to him and a part of him, gave him away to you and to the world for no other reason than to express his love, to rescue you, to come up with, to devise this plan to save And to reconcile. Nicodemus, God loves you that much. It's not about you or what you've done or about your religious party or your political party or any of your politics or you sitting on the religious Jewish council of your people or having a place of prestige. It's about accepting and believing or trusting that which has been offered to you by God freely. No strings attached. That's what it's all about, Nicodemus, believe it or not. God isn't out to condemn the world, Jesus continues. God is not out to push the world away. God doesn't take any delight in judging. In fact, the opposite is true. God devised this great rescue plan at great cost to Himself, pouring out otherness to the world. From the larger passage of Scripture that we read last week from John's first letter, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and Sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And again, verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might love or live through Him. So, that God's love, that God loves the world is not in question. And that God the Father sending God the Son, Jesus, to the world and into the world and for the world is quintessentially how God showed or demonstrated demonstrated that love again is not in question what is left in is for the world for people like you and me to receive God's love and particularly as God has loved the world in and through Jesus God has done his part God has resolved God acted what is left and what remains now is for us to respond and some people find that difficult the world hesitates you and I we hesitate at that point we have we do sometimes Some people find it hard to believe, or some refuse to believe, even that God is a personal being who is defined by love, who is love. Others live with the belief that they simply don't need the love of the all-powerful and uncreated being. They are self-sufficient, self-made people. They would never bow to another. They would never acknowledge such a need. They... Their lives are all together. They control their own destinies. They reject the notion that behind everything is a maker, a creator who just might be love. They're going to do life on their own, their own way, okay? Some in their pride and arrogance think they can earn, achieve, climb their way into good standing with the divine or with God or with the universe. Into spirituality or into eternity. Good luck with that. And then there are just those who are afraid of the unknown. Afraid of losing control. Afraid of the leap of faith. Afraid of what they might find. Afraid of who they might find. Afraid that they might be found. Afraid of the light. Even though as we read in that same book, 1 John chapter 4, that same little passage... There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. They're antithetical to one another. What's the opposite of love? It's not hate, it's fear. And then for many people, it's just too difficult to believe that God loves them because they just aren't good enough. They've broken the Ten Commandments multiple times, most of them. Their lives are a trail of mistakes and bad decisions and failures. Betrayal, sloth, vice. They have lied, cheated, stolen, envied, gossiped, committed adultery and murder in their hearts. They have made friends with illicit drugs, turned their backs on the poor, judged others harshly, lived solely for themselves. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, invented ways of doing evil. And they are suffocating in shame. Because of all that stuff that they're just dragging along and it's hooked to them and they can't seem to shake. God couldn't possibly love them. Could God possibly love you? God knows everything there is to know about you. We were driving uh, down south, uh, Mountain View, I think it was in Mountain View that we were driving through to go to a soccer game and a track meet last evening, and there was a Catholic church uh, that we passed, and it had this massive yellow banner in front of it that said, Confessions, uh, Saturdays at whatever time. Uh, that's, that's a different tradition. Okay. Okay. And there's something good and even biblical about confessing one's sins to other people. It could be healthy and good and productive. We don't do that a whole lot. But God already knows. God knows it all. Sometimes helpful to confess it to other people. But God knows. God knows your stuff. God knows my stuff. And he loves us, nevertheless. And that's a message that for some of us is simply difficult to to appropriate, difficult to live in, difficult to accept, difficult to receive. Brendan Manning tells about an awakening that he had. After years of alcoholism, he found himself uh, completely passed out, woke up one morning on a street in a front of a door of a store in a stupor from having stolen money to buy alcohol, spent the the night passed out. A 21-year-old mother, I don't know how he knew, and her young son come down the street. The little boy runs over to Brennan Manning and looks at him and says, what? And the mother grabs him and pulls him away from him. And Brennan Manning says that she said these words, get away from that filth. Get away from that filth, which he said struck him so hard but helped him to see exactly where he was. And it was only after he bottomed out that he came to hear the voice of God in his life. You actually are loved. You actually are loved. He goes to describe himself later as an angel with an unlimited capacity for beer. An angel with an unlimited capacity for beer. And maybe like Brennan Manning, there are these incongruities in your life as there are in mine. I comb my hair, I put on a clean shirt, I shave, I stand up in front of you on Sunday mornings. But every one of our lives is complex. And every one of our lives is affected by sin. And in varying degrees, your life and my life may be affected by shame. But into all of that, God says... You are dearly loved. Love is who I am. I sent my son, my beloved son, my only son, with whom I dance in love to you and give him to you that you might know his love. I never heard my dad say, I love you. I never heard my dad say, I'm proud of you, ever. And stuff like that can affect children who become teenagers, who become young adults, who become older and older people. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. No strings attached. We got a call in the office uh, this week from someone who's in the latter part of their life, the last season and didn't understand and felt like they had to do some religious things just to get it, sort of get all the ducks in a row and get things lined up before they died. To get in right relationship with God. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. God loves you. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are, God is love. Max Lucado tells this story. He says, the small house was simple but adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red-tiled roof was one of many in the poor neighborhood on the outskirts of a Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter, Christina, had done what they could do to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid offered few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. Now, some say Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an affection, uh, an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic that some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all of these men at arm's length. She spoke often of going to the big city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues in the city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother, though. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know who you are. Jobs are scarce. And the life is cruel. And besides, if you were there, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Maria knew exactly what Christina would do. And what she would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew exactly where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she had to do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all of her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human being will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers, or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. And written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Because she could. And that's the message that God has for every one of us. Jesus told a parable that was almost exactly the same thing. Come home where you are loved. I think in my lifetime we've never been closer to nuclear annihilation. Everything seems to be going south. The world at times when I listen to and watch the news is falling apart. God is love. God is love. And he loves. And he wants us, as John wrote, to live in that love and to receive his love. What in the world would it look like if Vladimir Putin understood this? Maybe he does. What in the world would it look like if you and I understood this and lived in this reality on a regular basis? What in the world would my life be like if I lived continually in this knowledge and this revelation and this truth? God is love. You are loved. We are loved. The world is loved. It's time to go home. Let's pray. Help us, God, God and Father, Father, Son, and Spirit, to live continually in the awareness of your unconditional, unlimited. Passionate, running toward us, never turning from us, goodwill and desire and striving for our world and our lives to be filled with your goodness and your grace. Help us to appropriate these things, lest we dare attempt to love all people unconditionally apart from this, apart from you. We cannot. It is not possible. You are love. Thank you for loving us. Help us to live in your abundance. In the name of Jesus, amen.